0: Welcome. You are listening to the Fat and Furious podcast. In this podcast series, your host, Steve Bennett, father of seven, best selling author and adventurer, will be joined by 23 of the world's most forward thinking medical professionals doctors, authors, and top nutritionists, where he'll share the truth behind living healthier and happier for longer. Today I'm joined by a really good friend, Dr. Shan Hussein. Now we've all known Dr. Shan for quite a while. He's been working with Primal Living and, and, and working with us to help support health and well-being. However, what you might not be aware is last year, this very fit doctor suffered a heart tap. So we're going to talk to Shan, he's going to, he's going to talk really openly about his journey, his heart attack, and what he's done since that event to make sure that he does everything he can to protect himself and his family for the future. Dr. Shen. Steve. Mate, so great to see you. Likewise. So great to see you looking well. and I'll explain in a minute why I start with that, (laughs) because I wouldn't normally start with that, but so great to see you looking well. Um, And uh, uh, for those that don't know Dr. Shan, he's written a brilliant book called The Big Prescription. Uh, It talks about the key pillars of health, and it's absolutely fascinating. He's got an amazing podcast series. If you think this one's any good, his is brilliant. In fact, he's (laughs) he's my teacher, right? In fact, he was the one that said to me, you must do a podcast. And he also helped introduce me to some of the brilliant, brilliant people that are on, on the series. So a huge thank you. Uh, for everything you've done for us. Gosh, you're replacing my ego, you should stop now. <laughs> <laughs> so, But this podcast is going to go a little bit different. So we've known each other for quite some time. Became, I'd like to say, good friends as yeah, well as, uh, as you know, championing the same cause of good health. And uh, and uh, kept in touch quite a lot. And, and then uh, last year, we hadn't talked to each other for about four or five weeks. And we ended up at the same airport in Portugal, taking our children on holiday and and we bumped into each other. And then I didn't hear from you for a a while, a while and a while and a while. And then I find out my good mate who is very primal, who follows, share all the same beliefs about getting fiber right, what a good diet looks like, exercise probably more than I do, you know, taught me so much, you know, know, contribute to my book, et cetera, et cetera. You only went and had a heart attack. I did. (laughs) So, I mean, uh, let's talk about your story. Tell everybody about how you were doing so many things right with your health, living so primally, and yet you still had a heart attack. And let's try and discover what caused that. And then let's talk about what steps you're doing to stop, make sure we don't have another one. Right. So um, it happened. It was 9th of August, wasn't it? Yep, last year. Um, talk us through it. Yeah, so
1: it was a pretty normal day, really. My wife and son were away. They'd gone on a surfing trip with his schoolmates um, down to Cornwall. And so I was just, uh, I'd been to the gym that morning. No problem, full workout, you know, bench pressing my own body weight. No problems at all. It's what I'd normally do. And... Um,
0: that's for those who don't know, by the way, is pretty impressive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have any symptoms, no, no breath, nothing at all. And, and I got back to uh, to my home and uh, just sort of relaxed for a bit. Started to get this twinge on my chest. And I thought that feels strange. Uh, I'll just ignore it for now and just go and get ready for work. And uh, so had a shower, started to get dressed, and it was getting really bad. Very sharp, crushing, central and left side of chest pain going down my left arm and starting to feel a little bit breathless and a bit tight around here like as if um, you're feeling a bit anxious but there isn't a cause for it that would be the best way I describe it anxiety without cause and it got so bad that uh, I was actually struggling to even walk and I, I called an ambulance for myself and that's how bad it was uh, if you um, called an ambulance for yourself I'm not sure um, twice or twice to- gosh. And, and
0: actually Mine was, I was going to say, because kind of related. I was struggling with the company; it looked like it was going bust. Thousand mm-hmm. employees, couldn't find a way out of it, mm-hmm. and and I didn't realise it was stress at the time. And I called an ambulance. I I was having a heart attack. I thought I was having a heart attack mm. and, and in the end they went, and you're super, super stressed and mm-hmm. uh, in the end I ended up with a paper bag breathing in and out because I was over breathing and, uh, but I did it twice in, in a short matter of months, all related to stress. It
1: was in the late 90s, wasn't yeah. it? I remember
0: you telling me. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so I have but not, not as severe as yours. I, I <laughs> was hoping that's all it was but then I thought,
1: I'm not stressed, why would it, why would it be stress? Um, so the ambulance crew came around, put the electrodes on me and they said, uh, yeah, you're having a heart attack. And I said, no, give me that. And I had a look at the ECG and, and there it was, ST segment elevation in the inferior leads and uh, it was all there and fitted in with chest pain. So they got me straight to the um, uh, cardiology ward and within 10 minutes I was on the cath lab and they, what they do is they put a little needle into your wrist here in the radial artery, right here you can see my scar there, mm-hmm. and uh, it goes all the way up to the heart. They found uh, there was a large clot in my right coronary artery, they found my right coronary artery was disproportionately large. It was long and it was tortuous and so prone to atheroma. Um, and they removed the clot, popped in a couple of stents, and uh, sent me back to the ward. And I just lay on the ward, re- reflecting on my life, <laughs> thinking, "My gosh, what? Why has this happened?" And that's the question that just stayed in my mind: Why has this happened to me? I eat well, I exercise, uh, I think I manage stress pretty well. Um, I'm not diabetic, my blood pressure is normal, my cholesterol and lipid profile is absolutely fine as well.
0: Why has this happened to me? And while you're lying in the ward, tell everybody about the text message you received. Yes,
1: so, um, well, before that, um, when I was being admitted to the ward, I spoke to one of the nurses and uh, she was taking some basic information, told her I was a doctor. And she said, oh yeah, we, we admit loads of doctors here. What? wow, really? <laughs> and then as I was recovering on the ward post angioplasty, I received a text message from a friend who didn't know. And um, and he said, uh, oh my gosh, one of my partners has just collapsed and died. He's only 42. He's just collapsed and died of a heart attack at work.
0: And he was a GP? He was right? a GP partner, yes.
1: Yeah. And I thought, well, mate, you'll never guess where I am right now. <laughs> um, and uh, And then it got me thinking about, you know, Why why is this happening to doctors so much? Um, My my immediate concern at the time was obviously me getting better and trying to find the answers as to why this has happened. My cardiologist told me that it was down to two things, bad genes and bad luck. And that's something that's kind of difficult to accept because there's nothing I can do about that. Mm -hmm. I can't change my genes and I can't change my luck. Um, but it wasn't until I spoke with our mutual friend, um, Asim Malhotra, mm-hmm. um, who was just an incredible guy, and I had a tremendous amount of respect for him. And he's been so kind and supportive during this time, um, checking on me with text messages. And uh, we had a chat, and he asked me this really interesting question. He said, how much stress would you say you've been under on a scale of 1 to 10 over the last five years? And I thought... Okay, over the last five years, probably a seven to eight. And that's when it really hit me that actually I've had low levels of stress that have you know crept up and down and not been debilitating, but that sort of lingering stress over a prolonged period of time can have a pretty devastating effect to your overall health and he uh, put me in touch with uh, an incredible cardiology nurse um, down in London uh, to talk about you know, how we can manage that, and uh, we had a fantastic uh, session together. Um, and that really got me thinking about these factors related to stress, because I always thought I was pretty relaxed, chilled out guy, And I'm not sure what your perception of me is, but
0: fairly easy going. You, you know what, stress is just the strangest thing ever, yeah. isn't it, because yes, to me you appear Totally relaxed, totally chilled out. And every time we've met, whether it be socially or work, um, but stress manifests in so many ways. You know, when I had my two 999 calls, I I, I'm not, I don't get stressed. That was my thing. I don't. I deal with. I don't yeah. get stressed ever, ever, ever. And they said, no, all your chest pains are stressed. You're not having a heart attack. It's just stress related. And funny enough, uh, about six months after that. We, the company didn't go bust, and we sold it to Argus, and we did quite well out of it. And literally, within two days of selling the company, all my stress, which I didn't realise was stress, just went away. Mm. All my symptoms went away. And then, for you, go crikey, stress manifests, manifests itself different ways in different people. Mm.
1: Yes, and I remember when when I spoke with um, Malcolm Kendrick for our show, uh, he talked about stress as a key factor for heart disease. But he said that the use of the word stress is actually not entirely accurate. What we should really be talking about is strain. It's what the stress is doing to us. You know, we can have two different people put the identical stress stresses upon them. One will feel stressed, the other one might just take it in their stride. Mm-hmm. So it's really about how that stress is affecting us, what that's doing to us, you know, physically, and emotionally, and mentally, and, and what we can do about it. And I think from my point of view, I guess I don't know if I was in denial, or maybe I was just taking on too much, or I just didn't recognise it. But it, clearly, it can creep up on us without us realising. And since then, I mean, when we first met, I was, you know, really immersed in this field, loved what I did, and uh, you know, loved talking about it, and um, coming on your show, and a lot of uh, other TV and radio appearances, and wrote for magazines and newspapers. I couldn't say no. <laughs> I, I just didn't want to say no to yeah. these opportunities because yeah. I was just so taken by it. But I didn't consider how much stress it was putting me under. So my default answer at the time was, was yes. yes.
0: Yeah. Yes. You knew me a student. Yes, I'll be there. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. And, and fitting that all in with still being a GP, practicing, mm. yeah. and, and and all the hours that yeah. that entails, and.
1: But it was just so much fun i was you know yeah. passionate about it i love doing it and it was just great fun to you know meet good people like yourself who are like-minded and enjoy this kind of work and it was you know in hindsight at the uh, uh, detriment to my own health. Mm. So nowadays I've started to say no. <laughs> In fact my default answer is often no. I mean obviously you're you're a difficult person to say no to. I'm always always happy to come and see you and say hello and, and talk to you on your show. Um, but I've just started saying, well actually no, let's let me just take some time out for me, look after me, spend time with my family and just take it easy. And and I'll take still take on the opportunities, but they've really got sure. to be something that really resonate with me. And things that I know that are not going to overextend me.
0: Yeah, I read a, a book recently uh, called This Is Going to Hurt, and it's a, a it's the, the guy was a, a doctor in hospital. and He talks about how you know through the stages of training to be a doctor and the amount of hours, and we all know how hard doctors work and everything. But brilliant book, very insightful. But it's shocking how ill many doctors become just mm. because that. You're in a stressful job anyway because you, you know you, that that responsibility of mm-hmm. proper diagnosis and so on, but the hours and everything. I mean, how stressful is it being a doctor? And are there any stats, or is it? Were you just unlucky, or but well, you had another friend that died during the same period of a heart attack, who was a doctor, the nurse. On the ward, said you, we get lots of doctors coming in here with heart attacks. Mm. Is it is it common for doctors, or it looks
1: like it? Yes, increasingly. And what's interesting is when I started working in, as a doctor back in it was two thousand, February two thousand. We actually worked longer hours. Um, you know, we have limits to doctors sometimes only work forty eight hours a week. We were doing a full forty eight hour weekend on call oh, <laughs> with no it. breaks. Right. Um, but what got us through it was was the camaraderie. There was yeah. the was the uh, culture that was created within the organization, within the departments, within the hospital. And we had a great time. But I don't know if that is quite the same as it was back then. Um, I moved into general practice in 2007, and what I noticed straight away was year on year more demands were being made of us, not only clinically, but also at an administrative point of view. Um, And many organizations have come in telling us what to do, and how we're doing things wrong, and this is the new way we're gonna do it, and you just have to do it, and no, we're not gonna pay you anything extra, so you know, roll these things up, get on with it. And so doctors have kind of struggled with this, yeah. and we're seeing that now since 2013, we've lost 20% of our full-time equivalent GP partners. They've either retired early, or emigrated, or tragically are no longer with us suicide rates among doctors are up to four times the national average Crikey. and this is something that i will never stop talking about yeah. um, i'm tweeting about it and uh, you know engaging in many discussions because this needs urgent attention yeah. right now um, and i think it's about a third of doctors openly admit to not openly admit confidentially admitted to taking um, alcohol prescription drugs or illicit substances just to get through their
0: day-to-day shifts. Um, that <laughs> was in a BMA study last year. So um, not not just on their weekends off, but actually to get through the shift. Yeah. And you know, it's quite interesting that I, I've always taught in the business world, you know, all my managers, that you know, one of the things that most people get stressed about is what you can't control. Mm. So bad bosses, people that that you never know which way they, what they're going to say next mm. and then the better in one minute and then shout you down the next minute mm. inconsistency of management and 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 then changes of policies and all that that's and that's exactly what you've just said actually because you know you're saying it was great in the early days when there was you know but now you' have all these companies come in and say change this do this measure this monitor that more paperwork than actually probably even the practicing mm. that is stress because that's you're not controlling your own destiny, at least mm. if you know I'm doing what I'm trained to do, which is help mm. people. Mm. And I don't mind doing that many, many hours because that's what I love doing, helping people get healthy. But if you're taking me away from that and doing stupid sometimes for, for all the wrong reasons, paperwork that... I'm not saying all paperwork stupid, but... I can just I can see why that frustration must mm. come in, and with that frustration comes the stress, I guess.
1: Yes, and what we should be doing as doctors is before we actually agree to take on this work, say, well, hold on, where's the evidence for this? Where's the evidence that this is going to work and give you the desired outcomes, and not going to overextend our staff? And if you don't have that evidence, we should actually refuse to do it. Mm. And we're, we're doing fine, you know. The NHS has been around for seventy-two years now, done okay. It's, it's still still. Um, Ticking away, Um, why do we need to have so much uh, administrative and bureaucratic tinkering and tweaking that is actually starting to cause overwhelming levels of stress and burnout and breakdown amongst our frontline staff? So I've got very passionate about supporting NHS workers in the frontline and the things they go through. and uh, it's, it's some of the stories that I've been hearing about and reading have been really, really harrowing. And and I think we do need to do more as a population to support our doctors.
0: Yeah, maybe you should get Mr. Hancock on right. to one of your podcasts and uh, give him a piece of your mind. Yeah, ask him questions, but give him a piece of your mind as I well. I have maybe. invited
1: him. Um, and I actually uh, tweeted uh, something out today and I tagged you and Mr. Hancock in. Um, and uh, interestingly... Um, our mutual friend David Unwin, uh, he actually managed to have 45 minutes with uh, Matt Hancock, um, and uh, he was telling me about this because I was talking about all these frustrating things that's, uh, that we're going through in our profession. And he said, listen, I sat down with Matt and I have told him everything that you've just said. So he knows. Right.
0: Yeah. And
1: if he doesn't know, he doesn't need to look very far. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, that, that,
0: those stats of, yeah, people leaving. Profession, Mm. the the writing's on the wall there, isn't it? It is now. Let's go back a step. So, yes, you're training, you're eating properly. I've read your book, you read mine. We sing off the same hymn sheet. You're living very primarily, but tragically, you have the heart attack. I say, tragically, not tragically, because you're here. Is part of the reason you're actually still here because you were so thick? Did that help in any way? You know, because uh, about a third of people that have a heart attack die immediately. The fact that you were healthy, did that help your chances of, uh, of survival or? Um,
1: I would guess so. I, I don't think we'll ever really know for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, we do, as i touched on earlier, we do have a strong family history on both sides, my mother and my father. And in actual fact, since this happened to me, my maternal uncle uh, sadly had a heart attack uh, the following month and he's only 10 years older than me. Um, so you know we are increasingly seeing that at a younger age. Mm-hmm. And when I, I put in a claim for my uh, critical illness insurance that I, I talked about to you a moment ago, and they said, "Yeah, this is probably the biggest area that we do payouts, and you know there's no problems here at all. Uh, so so don't worry about it; it'll all be processed." And, and so, I thought, but why is this happening? because you know, yeah. it's unnatural. Yeah, for someone under sixty yeah. to have a heart attack. Yeah. Um, there's got to be something happening at an environmental level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really think that that um, genetics yeah. and bad luck on their own yeah. are enough to explain this. We, we've really got to look at, uh, look wider. And that's really what I wanted to do. And, and I think what it continues to drive me to is is stress and, mm-hmm. and how we can manage stress or strain, as uh, yeah. Dr. Kendrick would say. Um, I've started to look more at de-stressing things and, and how we can, you know, really, really deeply de-stress and relax and and unwind and started to take some of my own advice, shall we say. Um, (laughs) But uh, I've really started to, you know, practice meditation, which is something that's scientifically proven to help with uh, uh, hypertension and heart disease and actually reduces the um, stickiness of the red blood cells, the coagulability. I didn't know that until I I studied it a, a few months ago. And so that's got me really, really into talking about that. But at
0: the same time- this is what you're saying there as well, and it's so interesting interviewing all the doctors for, for the book and also for, the, for this series. Hmm. So the three in particular, i mentioned two of them already, Dr. Mark and Kendrick, Dr. C. Malotra, and a gentleman called Ivor Cummins. So they were the, my three heart specialists, if you like, for mm-hmm. giving me all the advice on how to, you know, hopefully avoid heart attack, and it's all in the book. Um, but all three of them, when I said the same question, What's the five things we should all be doing to avoid heart attack? Mm. All three of them, virtually the first thing that leaves their mouth is de-stress. You should de-stress. None of them them mention the word cholesterol at any point in any of the the, the five points, but always de-stress, mindfulness, which I know you Mm. you talk about this Mm. a lot in in your book. Mindfulness, de-stressing, and uh, in fact, quite interestingly, uh, off the back of that, uh, some friends of mine were working for a company called Sewing uh, Quarter, and it went bust. Mm-hmm. And they said, can you come and save it? And I went, it just doesn't fit in with my my group of companies at all. And one of them said, well, you're wrong, Steve. And I said, why is that? They said, because we help people learn how to sew, and sewing and crafting is one of the most mindfulness things. You-. So in the end, sure. I bought the company. I bought the company not because it fitted in any of my organizations mm. uh, in, in any other sense, but... He, yes, of course, anything you can do with your mm. hands, anything you can craft. Mindfulness, mindfulness, mindfulness. And, and, and Dr. Seema Lopter, some of his friends in London, are just brilliant around mm. that area of yoga and relaxation and mm. taking time out for yourself mm. a few minutes a day. And I guess for GPs, taking some time out for themselves is so difficult just because of the workload they're under.
1: Mm. Yeah, you've got to remember some GPs, that they're starting work at seven in the morning. They don't get home till nine or 10 o'clock at night. Um, and even then, they're not switching off um, because we're always kind of playing, playing something out in, in our minds. Well, did I do that right or did I miss that or did I remember to do that bit? And, and the thing is, if we make just one of those mistakes, it can have devastating consequences to someone else's health and well-being sure. and to our careers. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a very stressful job. But well, I knew it was a stressful job before I signed <laughs> up. You know, my, my dad's a doctor. He was practicing for gosh, and I think 50 years in in the NHS, he he worked. Um, But I think more can be done to support us. I think that it's becoming more stressful. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of talk nowadays in the NHS about resilience training, which really irritates me, because it's (laughs) almost psychological projection, saying, well, the problem isn't us, it's you. You need to toughen up. So, well actually you don't want most of us to toughen up because you won't like what you'll see <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh it's just even the choice of words is horrible it isn't it yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost derogatory that word resilience is stronger yes. it's like telling somebody they're obese because it's their fault no it's not their fault yes they made the wrong food choices but it's not their fault they've been fed the wrong information you yes know, it's, it's not that's a terrible word so so You've had the heart attack, mm-hmm. and that was August. We're filming this uh, in February, so six or seven months ago. What have you changed? Because you were already fit, you were already eating the right things. Um, what have you changed since? You've had some advice from Asim, um, and uh, you know, he asked you that question about how stressed are you on a scale of one to 10. Um, what have you changed since?
1: Well, I mean, no one's got the perfect diet. Yep. No one's got the perfect lifestyle. Because we don't know what they are, yeah. So it's not about finding perfection. It's about looking for improvements. You know, where can I make a small change? You talked about um, you know five things that people can do to avoid heart attacks. Well, I think I was probably doing four of those things. <laughs> it was just that fifth one that, yeah. that kind of crept up on me. Yeah. So I think it's really about just looking at what what we can do. And you know, I have started increasing my. Um, uh, low carb veg- vegetable intake, on the advice of uh, a number of people, including my own cardiologist. You'll be, you'll be glad to hear he was mm-hmm. talking about going, uh, cutting down on carbohydrates. Um, I've certainly been looking at de-stressing and practicing regular meditation. I, I've, uh, I mean, I've been I studied meditation nine years ago, and since this happened, I really realised how incredibly important and powerful it is. In fact, my next book is going to be specifically about the scientifically proven effects of regular meditative practices. Because I think, you know, we all think, that we hear the word meditation and we kind of think that there's some Californian hippie chick trying it. Um, <laughs> um, and it's not, you know, actually you get um, some top CEOs and executives doing yeah. it on a regular basis and what it can do for us. So I thought, well, let's forget the anecdotes. Bring the science out there and say this is what it's actually proven to do. Here's the literature. Here's the studies. This is what they consisted of. So that is hopefully going to happen this year or next year. I'm meeting my my literary agent. Don't rush it too much
0: because we don't need to get stressed. Well, you know, I think this is the human Practising as a GP now as well.
1: Uh, yes, I am. But th- I mean this kind of work it kind of just flows. Yeah. And that's that's never going to be stressful. Good. You know, it's just something that you enjoy doing. And and that's uh, the next thing I wanted to come on is, is start doing more of those things that you that, that I enjoy doing, you know, spending time with my family, with my friends, yeah. you know, with good people like yourself who, you know, we have a great time when we're together. And uh, you know, what that can do to health,
0: you know, the importance yeah. of community um, yeah. is Well, you have always been a big really important. Uh, a big believer of that. I mean, you, you, you know, yeah. on, your, on your in your first book uh, the big prescription, you talk about the pillars of health, and one mm. of those is that social well-being and, yes. uh, and you know, having a group of friends and being out there and being active. And, yeah. Uh, and well, so on. we've
1: now got something with the, within the NHS now called social prescribing, uh, which has happened since, since the book came out. Not to, I'm not taking credit for it, just to, <laughs> just to be clear. But it's a really powerful um, a new uh, project that's come out just to really help people look at social elements of their health and well-being. And after a pilot study, they managed to reduce A&E admissions by 66% by targeting the right people who are regular attenders. Uh, So, you know, there's a lot to be said about
0: social factors. Excuse my naivety. Is this Mm -hmm. like saying to to GPs eventually, here's a budget, not just for prescribing drugs, but maybe yoga classes or here's some budget, you know, for for certain people to go and do this, that, and the other? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, not exactly. Uh, there's uh, what they have, someone called a link worker that comes in who has a lot of knowledge around you know, services and facilities that are available within the community that perhaps a GP doesn't have. And also they have something the GP doesn't have quite as much of, and that is time. Mm-hmm. They can sit down with a patient for an hour and really get an understanding as to what's happening in their lives at a social level. In fact, there's a, very, um, uh, there's a brilliant doctor who I'd be very happy to put you in touch with called Dr. Mohan Sekram. Um, In Merton in London, who I went to medical school with, who's leading this uh, within the country, doing some incredible work and getting some great results. And uh, I had him on my show, and uh, we had a fantastic conversation. So I think that things like social prescribing will really transform health. I think what, you know, I mean, ultimately, when someone is stressed, they're not always gonna know it. It's gonna take people around them who really know them well to say, hang on, mate, are you okay? Yeah. You know, yeah. Do you want to just have a chat? Let's, let's take a break. Let's go for a walk.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Let's, let's get a bite to eat. And those kind of conversations can make such a massive difference to our health and well-being. Just people checking in on each other. And I think that this is something that we don't see quite as much as we did when I was a kid.
0: Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? everything mm. has gone so digital and there's always so many things you can sit and watch TV these days with Netflix and Amazon and everything yeah. that people forget that that, that sort of... I always say to my kids, try it every single day and just do something that's kind to somebody. And mm. it, it actually makes you feel happier anyway. And we all know mm. that giving's better than receiving, but people just forget. And I try with my kids to make that part of their daily ritual, you know, phone up a friend that you haven't spoke to for a long mm. time or just go and say hello to somebody and, and so on so forth. Well, uh, you know,
1: someone told me something very interesting, and I don't know how accurate this is, but they told me, so you might want to just check this <laughs> if you're listening, um, but the the actual... Center, uh, the part of the brain that um, is stimulated by um, giving and receiving is the same part of the brain. The brain actually can't tell the difference between giving and receiving. So if you feel good from receiving something, you're going to feel good from giving something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's how, that's how uh, uh, things work within, within society. It's all like giving and receiving.
0: Absolutely. In fact, talking to the brain, one of, a great uh, podcast and a great contributor to the book was Dr. Robert Lustig from America. Oh, yes. And uh, he's in his latest book, Hacking of the American Mind, it's all about understanding the difference between uh, sort of what we think is happiness and reward. So pleasure and happiness are two different things, two different uh, neurotransmitters in the brain. Um, uh, And it's really fascinating for anybody that is feeling a bit stressed. One of the first books I would actually recommend to go read is uh, Hacking of the American Mind. Uh, And he does a brilliant job of really explaining what happiness is about. Because if you pursue happiness, that de-stresses you. If you pursue too much pleasure, that can add to stress. Mm-hmm. And, and often pleasure comes at the sacrifice of happiness. Yeah, 10 McDonald's in a week is pleasure, maybe, for some people. But does that make you happy? No, because eventually it eventually leads to obesity, and et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. great, great book. In fact, talking of Robert Lustig, one of his advice is to avoid heart disease. And also, when I was talking, um, to uh, Patrick Holford, another brilliant doctor who's written some great books. They're big, big believers in omega-3. Are you up on Mm. omega-3 now? Uh, Absolutely, yeah. 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 Because there's a a lot of evidence to support that and opening Mm. up the arteries and and, and anything you can do to increase nitric oxide, according to Malcolm Kendrick. So anything that increases nitric oxide. So uh, Malcolm was saying, if you really want to avoid a heart attack, start taking Viagra. And I said, "Well, what's that all about?" And Malcolm, Malcolm said, "Well, uh, Viagra increases nitric oxide in the body. That release that relaxes the veins, and, and, and actually, you know, the big arteries going into the heart, it relaxes them." And uh, and he said several things that help us increase uh, nitric oxide. Uh, one is exercise. Mm-hmm. Sunlight helps. Um, so it's back to that living naturally and getting mm. out a bit more. And I guess if you're a GP, you're locked indoors a lot of the time, yep. and you, you know you, you, you're not getting a lot of the sunshine.
1: Yep. And also this time of year, when um, well, it's getting a little bit uh, longer now, but the days it's been a long winter, hasn't it? Yeah. And, you know, and we get like what, six hours of daylight sometimes. <laughs> um, and and this is the area that Public Health England actually um, agree with us here that uh, that everyone should take vitamin D supplementation throughout the winter months. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I do do. Having said that, my vitamin D supplement is a little spray, and it's exactly the same size and shape as my heart spray. Okay. So the other day, you'll never guess what I did. <laughs> Took the wrong medicine and uh, got a bit of a head rush for about thirty seconds. Uh, so I might need to have a look at some of your supplements today.
0: <laughs> Funny enough, we are bringing out a spray for children very, very shortly for uh-huh. multivit and for uh, D vitamin, uh, and then another one can't remember what it is now, but we have got. Three sprays coming out. What's in the spray for the heart medication out of interest?
1: So, that's something called glycerol trinitrate. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just exactly what Malcolm said basically, it opens up the cardiac, those are the coronary arteries. So, when someone starts to get chest pain, it's going to be from a coronary artery narrowing or from, um, you know, which would be an angina attack or, you know, a blood clot in there. And uh, so, I should carry the spray everywhere I go.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, it's just one squirt under the tongue and that it works within 30 seconds. Opens up the uh, the artery, and you can take a second spray if you need to. Don't recommend taking more than that. If you need more than that, you need to call an ambulance.
0: Talking of <laughs> calling an ambulance, and we'll we'll come to an end in a moment. But one last question for you. Yeah. In fact, no, two more questions. Sorry. Go on. Uh, so, you being a doctor, you've just been to the gym, you've got back, and you you know a few hours later the chest pains are coming. You could probably recognise those symptoms probably better than the layman or myself because you're a doctor and you witness this a lot more. Mm. What symptoms should our viewers and, and listeners be looking out for? And you know, what symptoms? Because again, you don't stress people because if you stress them, that <laughs> makes it even worse. But what symptoms were they looking out for uh, that they then should be calling nine nine nine?
1: Okay, well the obvious one is chest pain. Um, any sort of chest pain, you need to seek medical advice. Um, but it can be beyond that, and and not all heart attacks come with, with chest pain. Um, my very first symptom was actually throat pain. Right right here, it just felt a little bit tight. I wasn't breathless, just feeling like I was anxious, and a very sort of vague, non-specific symptom, which I couldn't really put, put down to anything. Uh, and anyways, so when people get the chest pain, it's like a crushing central, like someone sitting on you or it can be a very sharp pain, radiating commonly to the left upper limb, uh, from the shoulder all the way down because it does go all the way down the hand. Breathlessness, sweats, uh, dysphoria, which basically means that you know, you're just feeling it's all just horrible and not quite yourself. Um, and. Uh, I think I've covered everything there. Yeah. Did I mention breathlessness? Yeah, you did, yeah. Breathlessness Good. and sweat. And in fact, right. the first thing that the paramedic said was, do you have a towel? <laughs> <laughs> Just wiping the sweat off me before he could put the, uh, the, um, the labels on to yeah, do Yeah, a friend of mine said he died
0: in India, and uh, that was mm-hmm. his first symptom, sweating like crazy. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. What causes that?
1: what causes the sweats i think it's the sympathetic overdrive that comes right. in because your, your body is basically fighting to stay alive right. um, so it's an so, trying to yeah survive. so it's yeah. adrenaline and everything yeah. just supercharging you and just trying to keep you alive um that would be that would be what i would think causes it
0: and my final question i there's no, still two more okay go uh on. my my last but final question which i ask everybody and I, 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 it's tragic but nice no, fun Good in some ways that we're here talking about this, because you're here. Oh um, I always ask everybody, what's the five things to X, Y, Z? And uh, I never thought I sitting asking you about heart, <laughs> because you're a GP, but we've, there's so many other topics you're an absolute genius on. But yeah, we are where we are today, so I'm going to ask you, as a GP that's had a heart attack, what five things should we all be doing to try to avoid having a heart attack?
1: Okay. So I suspect that uh, the people that you've asked this to, the cardiologists have already said the commonest things. So I'm going to go a little bit off kilter and say things that uh, that perhaps are not obvious. So, you know, we all know about eating well and exercising and, you know, not smoking and et cetera, So, let's let's just put that to one side. I would say five things. Gosh. The first thing I would say is stop taking life so bloody seriously. Yeah. Have some fun, (laughs) let's let's, let's just relax. I've never known society to be so stressed and uptight as it is at the moment. And I have been guilty of getting drawn into that. So let's just relax. I'm not saying that there isn't anything out there to be taken seriously. There are a lot of issues that that we do need to address, Mm -hmm. but we shouldn't let it take over our emotional well being And we'll actually find that we can address them much better if we are emotionally detached from it and we can just go in there from an intellectual point of view.
0: So that would be the first thing. Have fun. I say to my children on that one, stop taking yourself so seriously because <laughs> nobody else does, even me, your dad. It's just, just it's so important. I you know? yeah. said it to all my staff at work. It's just stop taking yourself so serious. You know? yeah. it's like, come on, let's have yeah, some let's fun. Just have some yeah. fun. Just relax.
1: Um, the second one I would say would be um, have something planned in your diary on a regular basis that you've got to look forward to that's going to be fun, whether it's... Dinner with your mates, or uh, you know, going for a walk, or a concert, or you know, uh, exciting film that's coming out pretty soon, yeah. and uh, and just make sure that you know that, that you have an, a, a, a bit of fun around your life, and, yeah. and uh, you know, just just try and you know, light up other people's lives. That that can make a, a big difference as well. I remember one time um, there was a knock on my door. I knew it was one of the nurses who wanted uh, something. So um, before I answered, I pulled out my book and started read, pretending I was reading it, and, uh, and uh, she said, are you okay, could you have a second? I said, no, I'm just, I'm just taking some expert advice on something. <laughs> <that's okay." laughs> Might use your book next time, actually, Fat and Furious. <laughs> uh, so yeah, let's just, just have a little bit more fun. Yeah. Um, how far have we got? That's, that's three, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, the, third, the fourth one would be, let's look at how we can address uh, stress within, across society. Uh, all the way across. So let's let's look at how we can not only individually, but collectively, as communities, yep. come forward and address and deal with with stress factors. Because stress is is, I would argue, one of the uh, top killers out there. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's something that we can manage. We can help people. Uh, address these these factors uh, without belittling them or telling them to be more resilient or slapping them in the back of their head or anything like that. Yeah, um, and I think that that is uh, that will be the main thing. And you want one more, don't you? Watch no, that's fine. It doesn't yeah. have to be fine. but I mean, let me see if I can come up with something um, interesting.
0: Um, you back yourself into a corner because you said I'm uh, not going mean, to do all the mean, obvious <laughs> ones like smoking, <laughs> and drinking, and, and so, so. then You you back yourself into a corner, but I mean, look, you, you've nailed it. You know, it's stress, 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 and what can we uh, do to be happier and smile more. And, uh, and I, one, I would add on that, uh, that 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 those three experts, the cardiologists I've been talking to, didn't mention, but again, Dr. Lustig said, mm. start searching and seeking happiness, not pleasure. And mm. really start, and it's, it's quite a heavy book to read, by the way, for mm-hmm. everybody. So, But it's worth trying to get through it and really understand that principle of the, the emotion of pleasure is very, very different to the emotion of happiness. And happiness is family it's friends, it's all the things you've talked about, going mm. out go for a walk, it's getting out in the sunshine, it's you know, a nice, lovely day, it's all those things, it's being outdoors more, whereas pleasure is more reward driven, and mm. so many people confuse the two together, mm. and we confuse the two together because the big corporations want us to, so they sell us a happy meal, a mm. happy hour, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm loving it, all mm. those things that actually, no, they're not making you happy, mm. they're giving you pleasure. So start seeking and that's what you're saying in many many ways that yeah. social being out with friends getting things in your diary to look forward to.
1: yeah the final thing i would say actually i've just thought of it would be don't overextend yourself you know if you're not sure if something might be stretching you a little bit and it doesn't really resonate with you don't do it yeah just be kind to yourself and, yeah. and look after yourself don't beat yourself up don't be a martyr yeah. Um, you know I often say to um, when I speak to junior doctors nowadays is no one will thank you for uh, working your backside off and burning yourself out just to help deliver someone else's political agenda yeah you need to get some balance in your life and start to put yourself as a, as a priority and that's not selfish and that should never no. be perceived as selfish that's
0: actually Important. That's that's about how you can actually support your own self-esteem. Well, is that well-known saying, isn't there, that, that you know nobody will ever say on your tombstone, "I wish Dad had worked harder."
1: Yeah, I wish I'd spent one more day in the clinic. <laughs> yeah,
0: stay at work a little bit longer. And and that thing also, by the way, of just sometimes just reflecting on the good things as opposed to worrying about what you haven't got. Mm. I keep saying that to my children, you know comparison is the theft of happiness. Mm. And I was with Richard Branson once, and we were talking about companies and stuff and, and things. And, uh, and I said, no, you know, you're, you're crikey, you're at the top, top, top. And he said, no, I'm not. Said, what, do you, what do you mean, Richard? No, I'm not. He said, all these you know, trillionaire business, internet-y type people. He said, I'm, I'm no, not even in that league. He said, mm. I'm very successful, of course, and I'm happy. You know. and, and, and I drilled down below that, and I realized that everybody Always wants to be the next thing, and sometimes mm. you've just got to say what you've just said is enough's enough. Yeah, mm. I've, got, I've got my family, yeah. You know, so it's just sometimes saying, Look, be happy, just be yeah. happy.
1: Yeah, you find <laughs> where you are, and you know, if, there's nothing wrong with wanting more, yeah. But you know, don't compare yourself to people who because you don't know what they've been through, what exactly. their struggles are, and yeah. chances are they might not be. Any happier than you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. And you must get Sir Richard to read this, by the way. So well, here's an
0: interesting thing. And Richard, if you're watching this, I'm, look, you know, we're very honest and very open. I've had a run-in uh, with Richard's doctor, who disagrees with many of the things I'm saying. And his Lovely. Richard's personal uh, doctor. S- send him my way. Uh, and uh, so um, I won't, I'll, I'll just leave it at that for now. But, yeah, Richard Branson's personal doctor and I have, uh, don't see eye to eye. And he knows I'm not a doctor. And, and the but this is 23 doctors speaking in here, not me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, yeah, and it was around uh, looking after one's heart. Anyway, my final question um, is, I'll ask everybody, uh, what would you like Dr. Shannasane's legacy to be? Oh, gosh.
1: Um, Cared. Um, I think what I want to do and the message I want to give isn't, it's it's not coming from my ego. It's about... You know, helping others yeah. and, you know, making a bit of noise, being a bit of a disruptive rebel who, you know, doesn't really care about consequences, <laughs> yeah. uh, particularly from authoritarians who, you know, routinely tell us how to live our lives and what we should or shouldn't be doing. I'd much rather be remembered as someone who, who actually, you know, met someone where they are and not, not necessarily told them what they should or should be doing, but actually say, well, you know, what do you want? And you know, can I help? What what can I do to to help you get to where you want to get to?
0: Well, I think you've done that today because I think it's very brave to have you know, to have gone through what you've gone through and then to come yeah. and share that story with us all. And uh and I think it's been well I've learnt a lot today from you and I hope everybody watching on YouTube or listening um, on the podcast series, I think we've just learned a lot and look, we wish you great success in the future. Thank you. And let's maybe both Start to just be happy. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Let's not chase podcast number 500. God bless you, mate. See you soon. Great, thanks. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, then why not subscribe to the full series so you can hear from all the incredible health professionals we spoke to. Before you go, though, visit Amazon today and pick up your copy of Fats and Furious by Steve Bennett. And as a thank you for being a subscriber will even give you a third off. Simply use the discount code FFpodcast and you'll get the full story featuring all 23 medical professionals.